You are now tuned in to the Project 365 Experience. Welcome back to the Project 365 Podcast, guys. I am your host, Coach O, and this week, we have a really fun one, one that I've been looking forward to doing because I remember I was the player who needed this answer, so I'm really excited to be able to um, bring the answer to people who may have had the same questions that I have had when I used to play. We got Mario Celebre. He's going to come and join us. He is an assistant coach at TMU, which is a Canadian university, right, at the U Sport level. Uh, he's also assistant coach with uh, the Scarborough Shooting Stars that is in the Canadian Elite uh, Basketball League, which is um, a professional Canadian league in Canada. And we're going to talk about how to watch film. And I find that it's one of those things that is very underrated, but a lot of people may have had the same questions that I had. Um, with regards to what to look for, what do we attack, and all that kind of stuff. He is a video expert. I encourage you guys to go follow him on social media. And then in the basketball coaching section, last week we gave our big men of love. We're going to look at the point guard, one of the most important positions on the court. And what are the attributes of the point guard? Very informative, very detailed episode for you guys this week. I'm excited to get going, and without any further ado, let's hop straight into our interview with Coach Rio. Big time. Just diving in, very excited to have Coach Rio with us. What's up? How's it going? Like, you're one of the few coaches that get this opportunity to, when your school season's done, you dive straight into professional. So how has it been just going nonstop? Well, I appreciate you having me on, uh, first and foremost. Always nice connecting with you um yeah man it's busy it's mm. busy yeah between between tmu and then mm. uh when scarborough uh gets going in about april may uh there's really not too much uh rest time i maybe have three four weeks in that march april range and then it hop right into it right so a good 11 months out of the year um staying busy with basketball but i wouldn't have it any other way man you know how it is yeah uh, it's I fun think- it is, it is it is and like it's 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 uh, i like the word you just use fun because that's kind of like um the avenue that i'm going to take to dive into the next question where right. um so i have heard of i have heard of you from like the past schools that you were coaching at high schools you've been able to do um you know push your coaching to the university level um but how i got acquainted really acquainted to you was through twitter and you're a really cool follow on Twitter because you share a lot of stuff. So just diving into that, where did all of that come from? Like just that love for um, that love and fun for sharing stuff and just getting the eye for it. For sure, man. Um, I think early, early on in my coaching career. So I've been coaching for about 10 years now. Um, so going back to 2013, 2014 is when I started. And I, I went back to my old high school and started coaching there, uh, the varsity girls and the varsity boys basketball team. Um, and I love film, you know, from that from that starting point, I went out, bought a camcorder, bought a tripod off Amazon, and just started recording all of our games, breaking it down, uh, recording workouts, going back, watching with players. So I think from the get-go, right, like understanding how powerful of a tool, you know, it is, um, I, I loved it, you know, right off the bat, and just being able to, 
analyze the game from mm-hmm. you know, another perspective, another layer to it, right? Um, and then, you know, in relation to the Twitter, man, I, I never thought it would get to this point where I have, you know, 18, 19,000 followers. And really to, nice follow. Really nice follow. I encourage that. everybody to go follow. But yes, continue. Yeah, no, it's been it's been amazing to be able to connect to coaches and, and getting feedback from coaches and, you know, coaches telling me, hey, appreciate you, you know, posting that play. I use it with my high school or university team or whatever it is. Uh, it's pretty cool to get that mm-hmm. um, feedback from them. And uh, I could definitely, you know, it definitely feels like I'm going down the right path. Um, For sure. For but, sure. Yeah, that, that one was like starting off on Twitter. That was a kind of a story in itself. So that happened right at the beginning of COVID. Everybody blows up during COVID. I'm telling you. <laughs> it was what? March, April, 2020. Um, yes. Right at the beginning of COVID. And I think the season for uh, OSBA just finished. That's when I was coaching at TRC. Mm-hmm. Um, they, the kids just went on March break. So I was, I was rocking solo at the house. And, and, you know, how COVID started, they said, hey, one, two weeks, and we're back into it. Um, you know, two, three years later, right? But I remember the first week uh, I, pl- I played NBA 2K, popped it back in the Xbox, um, played a full season with Golden State, won a championship. And then after a week, I'm like, all right, what's next? Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? So kind of bored. Now I'm like, all right, let's hop on Synergy and see, you know, what coaches are running nowadays. And I remember starting out in the SEC with Kentucky, Alabama. Mm-hmm. I just started posting. And then from there, it kind of just took off. That's 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 great. And you use a nice word that I like there. You said a tool. Okay. So um you like you said, you've been coaching for uh 10 years. Mm-hmm. And through these 10 years, you can kind of like see different kinds of athletes. Um, they learn differently and whatnot. Talk about how you use film to help this generation of players right um i think a lot of it's just that one-on-one mm-hmm. right a lot of it's that sitting down with players um and just i think you know as the years have gone on i think now i feel like it's a lot more collaborative with the players right especially at the university and pro levels you know they're they're t- teaching me more than i'm teaching them you know what i mean where at the beginning it may have been more one-sided and you know, me kind of telling the player, hey, you should be doing this, this, and this. But now it's, you know, you know, what what are your thoughts on this? You know, what are you thinking, you know, during this play? What do you see? Right. So having that open conversation with the players, and um, I think it's a great way to build that relationship, build that trust with the players. Um, but you know, it's it's so important, you know, at the professional level, we use it every day, right? We use film every day and you know, those sit-downs, those one-on-ones with players, you know, the film could be five minutes, it could be 30 minutes, right? But I think just always going back to it and just continuing uh, to learn, I think it's so important for, you know, both sides, both mm-hmm. the player and the coach. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, you're, you're, you're touching on a lot of different things. And it's like, so me pre-COVID, I had just, like, I was pretty young into my coaching, my coaching career, pretty young. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure we've all done this where in our first year of coaches, we think, yo, I'm going to turn this team into monsters. You you make a big playbook. You got 50 plays. 
<laughs> you, yep. you make everybody go through everything. You're like, yo, I'm gonna have the big, I'm gonna have the nicest press. I'm going to have the greatest plays. I'm gonna have all of these things, da da da. And it's like, and it's like you you go through it and you realize like, okay, like this is not working. So at one point I started really realizing that less was more. Mm-hmm. So I started kind of like going along that path where, okay, I would kind of like teach players less, you know, like take it. Hey, what do you guys need? Not overload them with too much stuff. Um, But then came, I was always told by coaches, you know, you got to watch basketball. You got to watch film. You got to watch basketball. You got to watch film. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at one point I remember myself asking um a coach that at the time was mentoring me. I asked, I was like, uh, coach, how do I watch film? How do I watch it? Because the reality was like, I could watch it, but what am I looking for? Right. And I kind of find that a lot of times the way that people get more captivated by film, the way that they watch basketball and all that kind of stuff, it's because there's something that they're looking for. Right. So I found it perfect for me to be, bring the film expert on this. So, <laughs> If you were to tell a young player that is just starting off, said that they love basketball, how to watch film, what should they be looking for? For sure. You know, I think the first thing, um, and you kind of alluded to it, is, you know, you, you have to see it from a different perspective, right? As, as basketball fans, I think we see it from, you know, one dimensional and we're so fixated on the ball and what the player is doing with the ball. I think that's natural, right? People yeah. who love the game of basketball, that's what you're doing. You're watching out of pure joy, right? You watch Steph Curry, you're watching what he's doing with the ball. Um, but from a coach's perspective, I think you really got to take a step back and analyze, you know, what's happening on the court with all 10 guys, mm-hmm. right? So I think it's it's something you you consciously have to do, right? Because I think we're so used to just watching, you know, what's happening with that one player, but, you know, when you ask, how do you watch film? I think you really got to take a step back and see, you know, what's transpiring as a whole. I think that's the first thing, you know, you have to do. And then really to simplify that question, I think it's, you know, there's two parts to it. I think the first part being is, you know, what is being run? Whether you're looking mm-hmm. at the offensive side or on the defensive side, right? You know, what are they doing? What are they trying to accomplish, right? So mm-hmm. what plays are they running? What actions are they running? Um, you know, I think this comes from, you know, reading books, watching YouTube videos, like you said, having a mentor, you know, mm-hmm. not being afraid to ask questions and really try to, you know, expand the, your knowledge and expand that IQ. Um, I think that's, you know, first and foremost, you know, that has to be the foundation, right? So once you get a good feel of, of the different actions and you're comfortable and you're able to look at a play and say, yeah, you know, that's an Iverson set or that's a floppy set. I mm-hmm. think that that helps. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. then the next layer to it is, is why, right? And that's a bit more complex as, all right, they're running an Iverson set. Now it's like, okay, why? What are they trying to accomplish running this certain player off this step, right? Are they trying to get the ball to this specific player in the area? Are they running this specific action, knowing how the defense is, you know, playing it? And it's going to give them uh, an advantage on the offensive end. I think those are really the two you know, primary questions when it comes to watching film, right? So mm-hmm. what is being run and then digging a bit deeper and, you know, trying to find out why it's being run. So I think if you continually ask yourself 
you know, those questions throughout the game. I think it just helps, you know, with the overall basketball IQ. It helps break down the plays, you know, possession by possession. Then you can kind of start, you know, finding that that story. You can kind of start building that case of, you know, what's being run, why it's being run, what exactly is the team trying to do to to help themselves win the basketball game at the end of the day. Right. The the story, like I like when the word you use, story. Um I think it's so easy to kind of like disengage. And you know, like as young players, a lot of times like it's you know, not just young players. Let me let me take that back. Just as if I have a team and I'm on the team and then we're having a film session. Most of the time, even if I'm on the bench, I'm watching myself. <laughs> like right. it's so like, oh, you're curious, like, yo, what are you watching yourself and all that kind of stuff, right? But I think for like because the coaching perspective is different than the player perspective. I kind of feel like from um from a coach standpoint, you look at how all five pieces are moving on the chessboard. Right. But as a player. If let's say um let's 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 look at both scenarios. If let's say I am a player, I'm on offense, I have the ball. Um, and then I'm watching the film. Like, what would be like simple things that I could look for? Just really simple thing. I have my defender on me, there's mm -hmm. the rest of the four players, I have the ball. What are some simple things that I should be looking at that help me decide if I made the good read or not? Right. I think you know. You know, in relation to that question, I think a lot of it is, you know, the process of it, right? So I think sometimes players often look at the outcome, right? So they often look at, did the shot go in? Did it miss? But I think, you know, the process of, was that a good possession? Was that a good shot? You know, could we have got something better, right? And I think it comes down to just making the simple play, right? So seeing what's in front of that player, um, you know, how do you simplify it? How do you make the simple play? How are you trying to create an advantage, you know, as a player with the ball, right? Mm -hmm. That could be, you know, trying to attack downhill and um, initiate or trying to get two on the ball and then kick out. It could be as simple as a, a quick reversal, right? So I think it's, you know, like you said, though, it's seeing what's in front of them. What are the other four players on defense doing and how am I going to create a quick advantage off of it? you know, by minimizing my dribbles and, and keeping it as simple as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, considering that we have um, five players on the court for the most part of the game, um, most players are not going to have the ball in their hands. Right. So as an off-ball player, a player that doesn't have the ball in their hand, when I'm re-watching the film or even when I'm just looking at how the proper spacing or the proper... Um, positioning or the proper cues for a good possession with me not touching the ball. What are some things that I can uh, look for? Because we talked about the on-ball part. That's what everybody wants. Everybody thinks it's it's with the ball, right? But not right. off-ball is like so important, so valuable. So what are some things that as an off-ball player, when you're re-watching the film, you could be like, yeah, that was a good possession for me off-ball. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, there's a few ways to look at it, right? So one is opportunities to cut, right? So, you know, as an off-ball player, you know, what can I do now to, you know, put pressure on the rim? Maybe I'm able to attract two to the pain and that's going to open up someone else. Um, but a lot of it's holding space, 
right? Like a lot of it is waiting your turn. And, um, you know, Coach DeVero at TMU. My he guy. Preaches, he preaches this all the time. And it's something that stuck with me as, as well as, you know, a lot of times, whether at the prep level, a university level, even at the pro level, guys are attracted to the ball, right? Guys want the ball in their hands and they're going to continue to make their way towards the ball. But sometimes the best play is just, you know, standing in the corner and waiting. Corner. <laughs> right? whether, you know, whether you get the ball or you don't, that's the best thing for your team on that possession, right? Man. It's just being patient and waiting, waiting for your turn, right? If the mm. ball gets swung to you, you're ready to make a play. Um, but I think that's something that, you know, has to be continued to be taught to players, right? Is, mm. uh, is that patience mm. aspect of it. And, hey, there's going to be times where you might not touch the ball two, three times in a possession. Um, yeah. And that's okay, right? So I think, you know, continuing to preach that towards players and having them understand, you know, patience is key, especially in the game of basketball. Absolutely. You you know you share you share a lot of stuff um on uh, on Twitter on social on just on your socials, um, and you use the some you do some words that I really liked. Um, you said good shot, simple play, creating advantages, all that kind of stuff. So, um, when a play catches your eye, right? What what is it about the play? that makes you be like yo that was a good play or that makes you want to share it for sure i think you know first and foremost i think it's spacing of it i think that's something that definitely catches my eye is good spacing um the pace of what the play is run at right mm -hmm. so guys cutting with a purpose um putting pressure on the rim so when you put those two together right that's something that's been you know talked about a lot, you know, especially in the past five, 10 years is, is the pace and space, you know, of basketball and of the offensive end. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think the quality of the shot, right? So something I look at a lot is, you know, whether it's at the rim, is it a dunk? Is it a layup? Catch and shoot three. I think those things obviously attract uh, my eye and something I continue to look at, right? Because that's where the game is continuing to trend, right? layups, dunks, and, and catch-and-shoot threes. Um, so I try my best to stay away from the one-on-one, -on -one, um, you know, play and over-dribbling and stuff like that, right? But a lot of it's that pace, that space, trying to get stuff towards the rim and trying to open up uh, a three-point shooter. For sure. You're, you're, you're watching... So, question for you. This, this is just for me. This is completely off-topic. But, like, how many... How much... How much basketball, how much film do you watch in like a day? Honestly, it's up and down throughout the year, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. A lot of it is dependent on on what else is going on. Um, right now, I haven't been watching as much. I've been watching a bit more summer league, but a lot of it's focused with Scarborough. Um, during the year, you know, with TMU, I try my best to watch at least an hour, whether that's, you know, before my day starts, or or at the end before I go to bed, um, really try to do a deep dive and look at different games and mm -hmm. see what different teams are running. But you know, throughout the week, it, it's definitely quite a bit. And basketball will always be on in the background, whether it's NCAA, NBA. It's definitely yeah. you know playing. But um, I try to really lock in and focus for at least one hour every day. Yes, 
Okay. Yeah. And just the consistency of just the more you watch, the more, I guess, you start picking up. Because now you're kind of at that stage where, like, now it's so second nature to you that, like, you'll naturally be drawn to the game. So you'll naturally just pick up on certain things. Right. Right. And that comes with, like, I'm I'm assuming that comes with just, like, reps, right? Yeah, I think so. I think, yeah, a lot of it, you know, comes down to reps and it just becomes habitual, you know? <laughs> yeah. Of, of you know watching watching film and like i said having it on in the background and mm -hmm. so you just naturally you know your eyes kind of just gravitate towards it and for sure and you kind of lock in yeah <laughs> for sure let me let me ask you this what are some actions what are the actions that you're seeing the most now like common you know like what are some actions that you're seeing the most i say the most common especially the last one to two years has been that corner pin action mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where, you know, whether you have the primary ball handler coming off the mid pick and roll and as he's coming off, uh, they have that baseline screen where the guy in the corner is setting, you know, different teams will call it different things. I've heard it called the corner pin or an exit screen, a baseline screen. I think that's, you know, one really hard action to guard. You know, I think it's a good job of manipulating, right, the the two side tag and removing that guy, and um, especially when teams are in a drop. I mm -hmm. think there's a, there's a lob threat on it. Um, I think Spain, Spain pick and roll, can, you know, mm -hmm. teams will run that at a high level, and now coaches are getting more and more, you know, creative uh, of thinking about counters, you know, on the Spain and having slip outs and yeah. setting clear screens. Um, Say those two, and then split actions. I think split actions. Yes, yeah, with, with two guys, and yeah. teams are continually trying to attack or trying to, you know, find ways of of attacking, switching defenses. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. So splits, splits are like, um, if let's say I have the ball at the top of the key or at the high post, um, two players kind of like come together and then they kind of like make that read on either one person's diving to the basket or one person's popping out to the three and exactly. all that kind of stuff, right? What what makes that what makes that hard to guard? I think the I think it's the communication aspect. I think right. teams have to communicate so well, and I think the more pace you do it with. Uh, the harder it is to guard, right? So, like you said, having that one player, you know, put pressure on the rim and then that one player come back towards the ball, you know, I think when it's run with really good pace, like I said, with more teams switching, right, a lot of those players slipping towards the rim, they're going to have inside position, you know, for for that for that pass, right? So, I think, you know, seeing that more and more often, I think Golden State, you know, that's the first team that comes to mind. They do a great job with uh, Clay, Steph, and they have Draymond as a primary playmaker. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a tough one to guard. It's a tough one to guard. When, <laughs> yeah. And you can practice it, and but when it's happening at full speed and, you know, you're second off on the communication, it, it'll lead to a, either a layup or an open three. So what I, so what I, so what I tell my players um, to kind of get them to understand is as much as there are, like, you know when there's turnovers on offense? Mm -hmm. you got to try to get the defense to make turnovers on defense, right? right? So the way that I kind of say the word turnover, it's kind of like the more you get the defense communicating, the more mm -hmm. misdirection you could kind of, like, get them into before you get into the real action. I kind of think, like, it, the 
the success rate of the actual of what you're actually trying to get. Actually, the percentage actually goes up because I find a lot of times like that's when certain that's when certain um certain certain plays or certain situations get stagnant. Right. Or like mm-hmm. if let's say I want to pick and roll and I just call for the pick and roll. And now there's the whole um there's the whole help defense just loading up to the ball. So it makes it easier for them to be able to guard and clog up the space. Right. Right. So if I could get maybe one cutter, two cutter, and then I get my pick and roll coming, sometimes this it increases kind of like those chances for success, right? Right. So are there like because you're at the university level, like are there ways to like teach that? Are there cues that you tell players like, hey, when this happens, go because we need to clear this out. You're cutting here because this is what we're actually trying to get. Right. I think so. Yeah. Right. So it's whether it's built into the offense or. It's more of a concept, right? And, you know, some people call it like the absolutes, right? So if this action is happening, you know, this is what you have to do, you know, based on the action. Um, I think a lot of that comes with reps and you might see that more at the the higher levels, especially at the NBA level, they have a pretty good grasp on it. Um, I feel like at the the prep and even the university level, right? Sometimes you got to give them a lot more direction. And saying, hey, this is the exact set we're running. You know, it requires you to come and whether it's set a RAM screen or set a flare screen at this time, I think, you know, giving them that structure and that direction, you know, often helps. And then based off that, then they get a, you know, a good feel for, okay, you know, this is what I should be doing at this time. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You, you seeing, you seeing any, um, you're, you're, are you seeing any, trends or any teams in particular that you think people should be watching that kind of like where every time either you learn something new uh yeah from the ncaa level um you know the my favorite teams that i like watching uh there's a handful of them but i think purdue i think you know coach painter he does he's one of the best x's and o's coaches you know in, in ncaa um I think Marquette with Shaka Smart and I know their their assistant Nevada Smith. They do a really good job of five out and their their pace of their offense is incredible to watch. Um UConn this past year, uh they, they did an unbelievable job throughout the tournament. And you know, UConn was a bit different, right? So I think, you know, watching watching basketball, a lot of teams they try to they try to create an advantage early. Right. So early in the shot clock, they're going to try to create that advantage and then play off the advantage. Um, UConn was a bit different where, you know, they would run a set for eight, 10, 12 seconds. Right. And then finally get to the advantage. And it's like teams knew it was coming, but, you know, they couldn't stop it. Right. There are a few sets they ran where they would run double stagger to one side, another stagger to the other side. It would take eight to 10 seconds. And you kind of saw the play unfolding, but you know, they, they would still get a, a quality shot off. Uh, so UConn was really fun to watch. Uh, Virginia Tech is another team. Um, mm-hmm. There's so many good teams, right, at NCAA, NCAA level, whether it's high major, mid to low, right? There's so many good coaches out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the NBA level, uh, Utah, I thought they, you know, they ran a lot of good stuff with their young uh, pieces this year. Uh, Sacramento. Denver with Jokic, they're always fun to watch. 
Uh, there's, you know, there's so many good teams, but I would say, yeah, those were, those would be a few that, you know, I, I like to kind of focus in on uh, throughout the year. Um, talk about how plays in the NBA are very different than plays in the NCAA. Just like some key pointers, because I think, you know, like, I think what people have to understand is that the game is different, right? There's different rules. The spacing is different. I'll kind of let you get into it, but just talk about how, you know, especially when you're watching these plays, right? A play that you're running in the NBA might not work in the NCAA. Right. Right. You know, the the biggest thing with the NBA is that a lot of it's matchup, matchup based, right? Mm -hmm. And it's something you don't really often see at the NCAA level. I think really the only team that comes to mind is UCLA. And they'll run a lot of, you know, matchup-based offense. Yeah. And, and Baylor, when they won that chip, they were really, like, attacking. Um, there was a lot of boomerang actions where they were, like, get it out, get it back, and then just get downhill whenever teams would switch against them. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So Cronin does a lot of that where they're, they're going to attack certain players throughout the game, and they're going to stick with that matchup. Um, and, you know, that's something you really see at the NBA level, especially playoff time. Right? It's you know, you kind of strip everything away and you're not running these complex actions. A lot of it's, you know, how do I get my best player to, you know, try to create an advantage against their worst defensive player, right? So a lot of it in the NBA finals, a lot of it's, you know, ball screen and pistol. And that's really what you're looking for is you're trying to create that advantage with your best, you know, offensive player, whether it's Tatum, um, Jimmy Butler, Jokic, Jamal Murray, right? And now defenses are coming, you know, more and more creative of trying to hide certain guys and try to keep them out of action, right? So it's, it's pretty cool to see, especially in, in playoff time. But I think, yeah, there's a, there's a huge difference, right, in the NCAA game. And I think it's more team-oriented and, and full offensive systems, you know, installed with coaches compared to the NBA level which you might see more, you know, during the season. But I think playoff time, you know, that's really the MO for a lot of these teams and a lot of these coaches is it's going to be matchup basketball and we're, we're going to get, our, you know, the ball to our best player's hands and we're going to be picking on their worst defender for as long as we can until they make an adjustment. Right. So, yeah. And also um, in the NBA, you know, like I said, rules, right? So offensive player has the advantage most of the time, right? Hand checks is, you could probably be a little more physical in college. Um, I think also the the fact that you can't have players sit in the lane kind of yeah. changes up certain things that you can't really do. So um, do you want to kind of like talk a little bit about that? Like just about um, just the defensive three seconds in the NBA and the fact that it's not there at other levels? <laughs> oh, for sure, right? That, that's, that's such a, a game changer, right? And it's, you know, specific, specific to the NBA, right? At our level mm. is Scarborough, all right? With FIBA rules, we're allowed having that player in the key and kind of just waiting and, you know, having them kind of as a roamer. Um, but yeah, I think there's, you know, a huge advantage for, you know, the highly skilled offensive players in the NBA. And like you said, the hand checking and driving lanes being open and the three-point line being further. Uh, it forces that defender now to guard 22, 23, 24 feet out, especially against a shooter like Trey or Dame and, and Steph, right? Where it's very tough. I don't think people understand how tough it is 
<laughs> to really lock up <laughs> 24 feet from the basket um, and knowing that you don't have someone sitting in the lane, you know, ready to uh, to block a shot. For sure. So let me, so let's, let's, let's help our high school coaches here. So if we had some high school coach, cause we got to show the high school, some love high school For coaches. Sure. If high school coaches are planning to have like a playbook, right. Yeah. Um, how do they go about kind of like creating their playbook? Like what plays work and all that kind of stuff, right? Like what are the steps to choosing like proper plays for their playbook? For sure. I think, you know, there's a few different steps to it. I think the first and foremost is is keeping it simple, right? Whether high school or, or other levels, I think simple, simple wins at the end of the day, right? So really trying to simplify what actions, you know, how am I going to be able to teach it and, you know, how easy it how easy is it for the players to, to be able to absorb it, you know, as quickly as possible and for them to understand it at a high level. I think that's, you know, the first step. Um, I think KYP, right. So understanding mm -hmm. what your players are, what are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? And how am I going to, you know, fit this playbook to really showcase what they can do. Right. So putting them in the best situations, if they're not a great, you know, ball screen read, um, team, then I'm probably not going to have a heavy ball screen offense, right? So I think really just trying to understand uh, your team, you know, to the best of your ability, I think that helps. And then, you know, one thing is, you know, this is something I've learned over the years is being able to build encounters, right? So then going a step further and saying, okay, you know, if I'm going up against myself, how am I going to defend these plays? Mm. And now what counters can I put into these sets? where I'm not calling a timeout to tell them, hey, this is what we're going to run. But, you know, you could call it from the sidelines or you can have the players, you know, they start noticing, hey, this is how they're defending this action. Let's go right to our counter, which is already, you know, built into the play. Um, mm -hmm. I think those are, you know, three things, you know, especially when I'm trying to build out a playbook um, that I try to do uh, to the best that I can. Yeah. Would you, would you suggest that for um building it is it more about like kind of like see what you have first like with your players and then kind of like create plays that kind of like put guys into their strength i think you go either way i think yeah. even even you know giving them different plays and seeing how they're able to play out of it i think that's you know you're able to speed up the process and say you know yes we're going to keep that one or no that one didn't look too good at this point of the season Maybe we'll come back to it later on in the season, right? But I think, you know, don't be scared to put them in different situations and throw different actions at them. I think, you know, you'll be surprised on um, how quickly uh, players, you know, really understand and grasp, uh, you know, information, right? Even at the high school level. Um, mm. For sure, yeah. Yeah. Coach Rio, thank you. This was amazing. I got one last question for you. Yep. If you have um one play or just one action that you got to take and that's your go-to action, the one you want to be known for, what would it be? Or it could be your favorite. For the the, the whole duration of a game? If you got to, you know, we're running it, but this play is so good. Obviously, we're not going to run the same play for the whole game. But, like, it's such a great play. I love it. Like, it's one that, you know, that you love, that you want to keep. Which one is it? I'd probably go Spain pick and roll. That'd be that'd be my number one for sure. I think 
you know, as long as you have a point guard that's able to make the reads out of it, I think it's, you know, a very tough action uh, to guard and you can get into it in, in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the different levels of it is a point guard that can make a play. What's the, what's the teaching points of it? What's the teaching points? What are you telling your point guard to look for? What are you telling your other people involved in the, in the Spain? Right. I think, you know, first and foremost, you want the point guard to be aggressive. Right. So, you know, coming off any ball screen, I think they definitely have to be a threat going towards the rim. I think that's really what opens up, um, you know, the other players. Uh, The big, I think they have to, once they make contact, they got to get to the front of the rim as quickly as possible. Uh, You know, I've seen sometimes they like to hang out by that nail, Mm -hmm. by that free throw line, but they got to put pressure on the rim right away. And then uh, for the guys setting the back screen, right? I think once again, hitting and getting out to that three-point line, uh, you know, as quickly as possible. And sometimes not even hitting, right? Just ghosting it out and slipping out to the three-point line. But, you know, as a point guard, I think putting pressure on the rim, uh, you know, being able to read what the big defender is doing, how they're playing it. And then oftentimes, I think that pop guy and that shooter, they're open on the perimeter as well, right? So being able to make those three reads uh, at a quick a quick uh, pace, I think it definitely helps. Well, Trio, thank you so much for your time. Um, excited to see what you got going on. Um, wishing you a great season with uh, Scarborough. But uh, where can people find you? They can find me on my Twitter. <laughs> yeah, at throw your plugin, plug him in so they can follow. Please, I encourage people to go follow. Right, it's just my name. So at Mario Celebrity. So M A R I O. Uh, last name C E L E B R E. That's my Twitter handle, Coach Rio. Uh, I appreciate you though. Uh, this was a lot of fun. I'm happy we got the chance to do it. Thank you for making some time in your busy season. Now, knowing the both of us, we're probably going to go watch some film at some point today. So, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> for sure. Appreciate, appreciate you, my guy. Thank you. All right, man. Take care. Have a great night. So, this week, we're looking at the point guard. How to be a great point guard. I'm going to hit you with a couple of facts that you can really start thinking about. I think what's very underrated about being a point guard is um, a lot of people think it's very simple. It's just about having the skills and whatnot. But to me, it's more than that. Let's talk about three, three assets that most great PGs have. Definitely number one, let's talk about the high IQ. Being able to have an understanding of the game, being able to understand that in certain scenarios, you may have to be that. So basically, as a point guard, you are the coach on the floor, right? You're running the show. Coach can't play. So you have to be the one that the coach has the confidence in. Understanding defensive rotations, understanding that if you get the ball in this situation, Um, If you pass the ball in this corner, defense is going to rotate this way and then just being able to get the the dominoes going. So having a high IQ, having an understanding of the game. Next, character. People don't talk about this. Character and personality. I think that point guards are naturally understanding that they have to put uh, the team before themselves. So somebody who is more worried about scoring a lot of points in my opinion, can't be a point guard because I think their personality kind of puts them in a in a mindset of it's me before the team. 
point guards understand that they're going to do whatever the team needs to be able to win. So with that being said, having understanding that even though I am not scoring, I can still be very effective, can really um, be a way that certain point guards can differentiate themselves. Third, knowing your teammates. Does this player like the ball on the left side? Does this big like to catch lobs? Does um, this shooter like the ball at his belly button? Or maybe he has a high release. Maybe I got to throw it a little bit higher. All these things. Knowing your teammates. And it's interesting because this is something that you could do off the court that is going to show itself on the court. What do I mean by that? Basketball has a funny way of revealing your character and revealing um, your your true intentions. So if I'm somebody and I have beef with somebody else, a lot of times in basketball, it's very hard to, to hide that. So I have to have an understanding that like if I want to have success on the court, I got to be willing as a point guard to bring my team together and try to get everything um, good off the court. Because once the off-the-court is being taken care of, it's going to be very easy for us to be able to play. Now let's talk about skills. What are the main skills that we think uh, point guards should be able to have? Obviously, it's going to be ball handling, but be efficient with your ball handling. Don't just dribble, dribble, dribble just for the sake of dribbling. Being able to ball handle, get to your spots, get to where you need to get to, make the right passes and all that stuff um, can really... Uh, make it easy for you to be valuable to your team. Next one is going to be shooting. You got to be able to shoot the ball. You'll notice that at the higher, higher levels, guards, especially if they're undersized, right? We know that size, you can't really teach it. So if you are consider yourself undersized or you don't think you're big enough, well, you got to work on your shot. Because what ends up happening is when you shoot, you have to be able to make the defense respect you. And you'll notice that the higher levels that we go to, um, especially smaller guards, they, to go to be on the floor, they have to be able to make shots. So shooting, very valuable in today's game. Now, as a point guard, a lot of guards like to get infatuated by the stats. I think the two stats you got to look at is assists, Definitely, and turnovers. But I'm going to help you kind of shift the way that you think about these two. I think turnovers in a lot of times are so, are, are, they happen, they happen when you least expect them. Like, I think a lot of times, like, point guards know what they want, but they become so predictable that that's how the turnovers happen. So, I think both of the both of those stats are linked because I think when you looked for the assist and the perfect play, um, it's very easy to make a turnover. So for me, what I'm going to tell you is just facilitate the way that you play. So when you think you're talking about assists, even though you don't get the right assist, I want you to shift that mentality to paint touches and how you're able to create put the defense in rotation. That's probably the best way that I could tell you to look at it. Because now if you establish yourself as somebody that keeps putting the defense in rotations, you're very valuable to your team because you're constantly breaking down the defense. Coach, what do you mean by breaking the defense down? Well, 
if we're considering this game to be five on five and everybody has a matchup, if I can get past my first defender repetitively, what that forces is that forces somebody else to have to help on me, which naturally, if somebody else leaves their man and come and find me and I beat my defender, I have two players on me, which means that one of my players is open. So in reality, it's almost like when you beat your first defender, you take him out to play, it now almost becomes a five on four. As a point guard, you want to be able to create as many of those five on four opportunities as possible. So instead of looking at the assist, even though you don't get the the uh, the direct pass that leads to the basket, being able to kind of break the defense down, kick it somebody, and then they get the pass, as a point guard, you've done your job because you have broken down the defense. Think about a couple of NBA point guards that use their special abilities to be able to put the defense in rotation or draw two to the ball. Chris Paul doesn't turn the ball over, keeps his dribble alive, and just makes the right play. Very simple. Stephen Dame, you're looking at incredible shooting ability. We talked about how important making a shot. Well, to these guys, that's their whole game. Because once they make the shot from all the way out, what that leads to, what that leads to do is defense has to play them from a little bit further out. So now they have even more room to beat that primary defender, draw the next player, and then make the right play. Russell Westbrook and De'Aaron Fox, two of the best downhill guards that we have in the league. These are two guards that are able to grab the rebound and dribble the ball from one end to the other in four seconds. Think about how much pressure that puts on the, another team's defense. That forces somebody else to have to help. That puts pressure on the defense without um, us being able to match up properly. So them using that downhill ability forces and puts a lot of pressure on other teams' defenses. So hopefully you're able to kind of see. And a bonus? Defense. You are a guard. You want to establish yourself. You want to change the tempo of the game. You don't have to score the ball every single time. Think about it. In a game, maybe in a game, I would like to know um, for the average player, the average player won't hold the ball for even close to a minute during a whole the duration of a whole basketball game. Everything is like quick decisions, pass, shoot, and everything, right? So think about it. So for all the rest of those other minutes, how can you affect the game? That's where your defense comes in. Changing the tempo, picking up the other guards, speeding them up, forcing them to make decisions that they don't want to be able to make, right? You got to be able to play defense. Got to be able to guard. A couple things to think about. The point guard. Hope you guys enjoyed this coaching section because I think this was one that is very misunderstood. And I think that there are definitely a lot of point guards out there, but hopefully these tips help most of you guys understand what the true meaning of being a PG is. Thank you guys for tuning in this week. Just like that episode nine is done. Make sure to rate, add a review if you enjoyed. And thank you to Coach Rio for joining us this week. 
make sure to give him a shout out on social media he's a really good follow on twitter especially so make sure you go check that out uh, as for me you can always connect with me at kojo365 on every platform and you can make sure you subscribe to my youtube channel for weekly videos breakdowns and more every week i say this but thank you to the followers you guys make this all possible this your host kocho reminding you for this week just keep doing your best do your best you don't know who's watching you might inspire somebody have a great week coaching and see you all next week on the project 365